Hello everyone and welcome to the very first ever episode of Say Hello to My Little Friend, also known as the Beretta Cast. Uh, this is as good a time as any, in fact probably the best time, to get through some basic introductions. Uh, my name's Glenn and this podcast of mine sprouted from the website Beretta over at www.beretta-online.com which is a website devoted to philosophy, theology, and just my general raving about social and political issues from a Christian point of view. Now, there's also a blog there called Say Hello to My Little Friend, the Beretta Blog. Uh, So if you find this podcast interesting, then it's my guess that you'll find that site interesting as well. So what kinds of subjects should you expect to hear me talking about here? Well, here are some examples. Uh, Religion in the public square is one of special interest to me. Uh, arguments for, against, and about the existence of God, Uh, ethical theories and their applications to contemporary issues like war, criminal punishment, abortion, and many other things, issues in academia and popular culture involving critiques of religion. Is religion really the cause of nearly all wars? Has religion historically been a thorn in the side of science? And and so forth, things like that. Uh, Issues in philosophy, religion, and metaphysics like human nature, Uh, dualism versus physicalism, life after death, the nature of morality and its relationship to theological truths, and things like that. Uh, Lastly, but not least, issues in theology and biblical studies. What does the Bible teach about all kinds of things like the end of the world or lack thereof, sin and salvation and various ethical issues and so forth? Now, if that sounds interesting, then you may have come to the right place. But if none of those things sound interesting, if you listen to that and think, gosh, you know, that's that's the last thing I'd want to spend my time listening to, then you're in the wrong place, because that's pretty much all we're going to talk about, so you may as well just stop listening right now. For the others, on with the show. So, why am I doing this? Aren't there already, you may ask, plenty of podcasts like mine out there? Aren't there philosophers and theologians putting their beliefs out there for everyone to listen to? Well, actually, there are very few podcasts out there, I think, that cover this kind of material, especially this range of material from the perspective that I have. But sure, there's there's plenty of material published on the web, you might say, but some of it's just awful. Some of it's okay. Um, But I, I do have a major complaint about what a lot of conservative evangelical Christians think is all right, or what they put out there on the web for people to see. And I say this as somebody who identifies with that outlook. So this is kind of an internal critique. That complaint can be summed up in one word, partisan. Now, I'm not saying it's wrong to strongly advocate a certain point of view if you really think it's the right one. I mean, I do it all the time. What I mean to do when I use the descriptive term partisan here is to describe those who may be lucid thinkers and may be very intelligent individuals who creatively engage many issues in a way that shows their ability to really think critically. But when it comes to certain issues on which 
they simply tow the party line of their cultural clique or church denomination or theological clique or, in the case of those who are not religious, their anti-religious fan club, they simply dispense with the tools of reason and they parrot arguments that in most other contexts they would readily admit to be absolutely flimsy. Now, examples of this kind of thing will come up every now and then in the podcast episodes and I'm not about to write up a who's who of the worst offenders. Well, not today anyway. But some of the issues where I see this come up all the time include... Um, biblical ethics, where contemporary evangelicals try to avoid awkward questions about, say, the role of biblical law, or seriously engaging the question of the death penalty, just an example, or philosophers who dismiss the claim that morality has its foundations in something theological on absurd grounds that would or should result in a failed first-year essay at college, or in eschatology, that's kind of like the study of last things in theology, uh, where people assert that people who don't interpret a passage of Scripture literally or in the same way that they do are just not taking it seriously. But there are plenty of other types of examples that get under my skin and which prompted me to be part of the solution. Now, another reason that I'm doing this, in fact, one reason that I'm pursuing serious scholarship in philosophy and theology, period, is that I'm a New Zealander. And New Zealand is unfortunately a pretty bleak landscape when it comes to finding high-profile, credible Christian scholars in philosophical areas. We just don't have the Richard Swinburns, the Alvin Plantinkas, the Robert Merrihugh Adamses, the uh, William Lane Craigs, and so forth. We, we don't have people like that. Uh, what's more, the Christian academic institutions that we have in New Zealand, not that there are really all that many of them, are simply not geared towards, and as far as I can tell, not all that interested in producing scholars like these. Things are a little more promising when it comes to biblical studies here, but voices that bridge the gap between faith and philosophy are sorely lacking in these parts, and so that's a gap I'm intent on inserting myself into. Do you know who I am? Who am I? Well, no one really. Not yet. Anyway, I, I was raised in the Catholic Church, I left the church in my early teens, much to the dismay of some family members, but I never walked away from the Christian faith, and I've been involved in various Protestant churches since then, uh, varying depending on where I lived. I got married, we had four kids, I got serious about study, I got a bunch of degrees, and finally graduated uh, with my PhD in philosophy less than a week ago. My prior degrees were in theology. So that's, I mean, as far as this blog and podcast is concerned, that's me. Um, before I get into other things, just a word about the format that I'll be taking in this podcast. In future episodes of this podcast, there will be one major subject per episode. Uh, for example, the next couple of episodes will be on religion in the public square, which was the subject of my doctoral thesis. And I'll spend most of the time talking about whatever the subject is for that episode. And sometimes that'll involve having a guest or even a co-host. Uh, apart from that, there'll be a segment on This Week in History, where I look at important stuff that happened this week in history. I'll do a quick rundown on headlines on some of the great and not-so-great blogs out there, and maybe say a few things about that, and eventually I may even do a section where I discuss mail that we've received. But before that happens, I actually need some listeners, so that may be a while away. The bottom line is... I hope that you find this podcast informative. I hope that 
It either gets you thinking about a range of new issues or it prompts you to look further into them. I hope it challenges you in some way and, of course, I hope that you enjoy it. All right, now it's time for... Speaking of show segments, I present you with the very first ever This Week in History. This Week in History, May 18th, 1872. British philosopher and author of Why I Am Not a Christian, Bertrand Russell, is born. May the 20th, the year 325, the Council of Nicaea is opened by Emperor Constantine. May 20th, 1285. This is an interesting one for me. Honorius IV is consecrated Pope, only to have his teaching on the nature of Christ offered to clarify for the bishops what the Catholic faith taught, later declared to be heresy by the Catholic Church. What a shame. And poor old Honorius was posthumously anathematized. Oh, to be posthumously anathematized. May the 21st, 1738, Charles Wesley, who would co-found, confound, not likely, Methodism with his brother, converts to Christianity while sick with pleurisy. May 22nd, 337, Constantine, the first Christian emperor of Rome, dies. Ah well, easy come, easy go. May 22nd, 1542, Pope Paul III calls the Council of Trent in response to the rise of the Reformation. It was at this council that the doctrine of papal infallibility was first formally defined. May 24th, 1089. Well, that's the traditional date anyway. The Archbishop of Canterbury scholar and church reformer Lafranc dies. He was known primarily for his development of the doctrine of transubstantiation. And that's what happened on This Week in History. Short, yes, I know. But when I get better at finding this stuff, there will be more to cover, I promise. Moving on. The blog roundup. Just two blogs today to get things started, to let you know how this segment is going to work. The Reformed Mafia, over at reformedmafia.blogspot.com, a blog I've discovered recently, a blog on which I did not make the list of most offensive blogs. D.D. Warren, I don't really see what's so offensive about your blog, but in any case, that's the way the cookie crumbled. An entry by Highland Host on what is tolerance. On tolerance, it's called. What is tolerance, he says, Highland Host says. When I was a great deal younger, it meant putting up with what you yourself did not actually agree with. For example, you tolerated the neighbor's dog barking at all hours, or you tolerated the monkey puzzle tree in your neighbor's front garden. That was tolerance. In theological circles, it meant that we put up with opinions that we, with which we do not agree. Sorry, in wider circles means that we believe in religious freedom for the Unitarians, Swedenborgians, and so forth. I blame the way that sounded on the author. The postmodern idea of tolerance, he writes, is different. It means that you are expected to hold that all truth claims are equally valid. So long as you hold to this, you yourself are being tolerated. In other words, postmodern tolerance is conditional on yourself being postmodern, otherwise you are intolerant and therefore not to be tolerated. Now, that's true. Reflect on that first part for a moment. Have you ever been told that just because you have a moral disagreement with another person's lifestyle, and you choose to voice that disagreement, you're intolerant? Now think about that. Just 
Just imagine if you told them, what do you mean I'm, I'm not beating you up or putting you in prison? You see, tolerance is not the refusal to condemn something, and it certainly isn't acceptance. If you asked your friend what she thought of you, and she said, well, I tolerate you, what would you think? You'd, you'd be offended, right? So the next time someone accuses you of being intolerant merely because of your opinion, let them know, look, the only reason that I can be tolerant of you is because you're wrong. <laughs> Otherwise, I would simply agree with you and there'd be no difference to tolerate. On another note, a blog of an altogether different quality, The Atheist Revolution at atheistrevolution.blogspot.com. Apparently, according to the Atheist Revolution, Catholics don't have the right to convert people. That's what our free speech-loving buddies over at Atheist Revolution are telling us, and I quote, During a speech yesterday at the Vatican, Pope Benedict the XVI sixteenth said that the Roman Catholic Church has both the right and the duty to convert any person to Christianity, and not just Christianity, but Catholicism, uh, writes the atheist revolutionist. Let that sink in for a minute. Okay, you're letting it sink in. The Roman Catholic Church has the right and the duty to convert someone to Christianity and Catholicism in particular. Okay, now back to the blog. Here's what he says. Okay, so he wants to convert you, but wait a second. What about this notion that his church has the right to do so? Doesn't that conjure up images of the Inquisition? Nobody expects the Spanish Inquisition! Quoting from the Pope, This apostolic commitment is both a duty and an inalienable right, the very expression of religious freedom with its moral, social, and political dimensions. End quote. Going back to, to Atheist Revolution now, here's what he says in summary. So much for religious pluralism. Okay, now there's a man who has absolutely no idea what religious pluralism is. Okay, apparently, according to these guys at Atheist Revolution, religious pluralism means that we should censor and forbid attempt to persuade other people to accept your religion. After all, that's what conversion is, right? Apparently the good folks at Atheist Revolution have no problem enacting an inquisition against us. What? Well, you look at what they're doing. They've got a blog promoting the Atheist Revolution, trying to get people to accept atheism. But by presuming the right to convert us, is, isn't that what they call an inquisition? Or does that only apply to the religious people and, and to converting people to religious points of view? Or does the right to convert only belong to the non-religious? I think that the people over at Atheist Revolution want to think that one through a little more carefully. And on that note, the very first ever episode of Say Hello to My Little Friend draws to a close. Now, we'll be back. Uh, over time, I'm sure we'll be improving. I will even get a new mic one of these days and maybe even a computer that doesn't suck. With any hope, it'll be a Mac if I can afford the down payment on the mortgage for it. Uh, but until then, you know what that music means? It's time for us to be out of here, and we will see you next time. <laughs>